0: Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sisson with some special Big Brother coverage. We got a fun one to talk about today because my good friend Dalton Ross from Entertainment Weekly is going to join us to talk about his latest article up on EW.com and it is all about Dan Geesling's funeral and oral history of the greatest Big Brother moment ever. Dalton Ross is coming up in just a moment, but first here is the First Lady of Podcasting, Nicole Sestradino. Nicole, how are you? I'm pretty, good. pretty good. Pretty good. Nicole, remember when you used to podcast about Big Brother 14?
1: That was how many years ago?
0: It was uh, a, way, a ways back. <laughs> ways yeah. back, back when you used to actually podcast about Big Brother. Mm-hmm. And remember, that used to be one of your claims to fame of, I predicted Ian would win.
1: Yes, I did. Yes. I predicted a lot of winners. Actually. Do you remember Dan's funeral? I do.
0: Okay. Yes. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about here today, that Dalton Ross contacted Dan Geesling, Ian Terry, Brittany, Frank, all the people that were in the house and then had uh, spoken with Julie Chen and Allison Grodner. We're going to talk with him about this. Nicole, have you ever read an oral history?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Yes. No.
0: The, the, are, do you like oral history? Um, that's. No, no. <laughs> no okay all right let's talk about let, before we get to dalton ross then let's let's talk about our sponsor for this episode of the podcast and this is one that is near and dear to the heart of uh, nicole as much like her, her pick of ian terry as the winner of big brother 14
1: probably more
0: yeah even even, even more, more so yeah. even more so than her call of ian terry will win
1: no, big no brother. i'm just kidding that was pretty amazing
0: that was pretty amazing <laughs> but nicole loves this sponsor and I that do, is I do, I do. figs Figs make amazing scrubs for nurses, doctors, dentists and other awesome medical professionals that wear and can use scrubs. And Nicole can tell you about them because Nicole has started wearing figs to her job. Nicole is a nurse. Maybe not everybody. Knows. I believe Danielle Murphy was a nurse also.
1: Murphy? Yeah, that's (laughs) her name.
0: Either she was a nurse or she was lying that she was a nurse. I
1: don't recall her being a nurse. Either way,
0: she'd love these figs also. Nicole, Nicole, why why should people get figs?
1: Well, normal scrubs make you look frumpy. They're not stylish. You don't look cute. Yes. And with figs, like you instantly look cute.
0: Yeah, because the amazing people dedicated to caring for and serving others. And they're so soft. Yeah. Oh my God, they're so soft. They should wear scrubs. That make them feel good.
1: Yeah, I feel good in them. Figs is an
0: amazing company that makes scrubs stylish and functional for people who deserve it most. And Figs creates the highest quality medical apparel for medical professionals to look their best, feel their best, and perform at their best every day. Dave, every set of figs is antimicrobial, protecting you from germs and bacteria. It's ridiculously soft, moisture wicking and features four way stretch because figs are made with yoga waistbands and come in a variety of styles from straight legs to joggers to skinny styles. Nicole, when you wore figs to work, what happened?
1: Everybody wanted to know. Everybody was jelly. Well, they were they were a bit jelly and they wanted to know what I was wearing.
0: Yeah. And what did you tell them?
1: I said, I'm wearing figs. Touch me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well okay, easy easy don't that's not that's not what there's that's not what they're saying
1: i want them said to that. feel how soft they yes. are yeah
0: All right, well, Figs gives back, and you can too. Every time you shop at Figs, they give scrubs to healthcare providers in need around the world through their Threads for Threads initiative. To date, they've donated hundreds of thousands of sets in over 35 countries. And speaking of Figs, they make great gifts for the lifesavers in your life. Figs gift cards are available too. So whether you're one of the awesome humans that works in healthcare or someone that wants to say thanks to those deserving folks, Figs is gonna make that easy by giving you 15% off your first purchase by using our code RHAP. Get ready to love your scrubs. Head to wearfigs.com. That's W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com and enter the code RHAP at checkout. And Nicole?
1: They even have really amazing sweatshirts, like zip-up sweatshirts that if you're not in the medical field, you can still wear them.
0: wearfigs.com. And use the promo code R H A P at checkout. All right, Nicole. I'm going to talk to Dalton Ross about do, his oral, yeah, oral history. Oh, okay, oral history. Okay, <laughs> yeah. All right, so and, I like that. yes. Okay, Nicole. Thank thank you so much. And then uh, you can go back and listen to your Big Brother 14 podcast.
1: <laughs> Will do.
0: All right, let's bring in our guest for today's podcast. Uh, he was our guest back in the spring when we talked about his oral history of how Eric Reichenbach gave away the immunity necklace in Survivor Micronesia. And here he is to talk about his latest big brother oral history, the oral history of the greatest big brother moment ever, Dan's funeral. Please welcome from EW Live on Sirius XM 109 and Entertainment Weekly and the winner of the Rotten Coconuts Fantasy Football League, the great Dalton Ross. Dalton, how are you?
2: Uh, I'm good, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. We were just talking uh, beforehand earlier about how um, that league got very tight at the end. Yeah. I had the lead, though, in the entire season, all season long, was kind of uh, just dominating. But right near the end, those last like month of the season, you came on really strong and you right. were like classic team no one wanted to play like the Rick Devins yeah. yeah exactly you were hot going into the playoffs and then i guess Jeremy Collins cooled you off I
0: think. <laughs> yep he did he did my team did not show up in the playoffs uh very sad story i think you had the uh Mahomes girly stack is that is that correct yeah I did tough, to so, tough to be. tough to so beat
2: yeah as i've bragged to all of you i mean i even said that i think i even said when i drafted Mahomes i had a strategy and it was and I'm sure people want to hear all about the our oral history
0: football. of the Rotten Coconuts Fantasy football <laughs> yeah. league.
2: But, I, but I, 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 my strategy was Mahomes is going to light it up. No one's going to take him. Cause I think he was ranked like the 10th, you know, whatever. Sure. No, I, I knew I could get him last. And I did. I was the last person in our league to draft a QB and I, I typed in the little chat window. You guys, here's my big move for the season. I'm Patrick Mahomes, is my it. starting quarterback. And it, it obviously clearly worked out. And then Jeremy's still mad at me that I beat him. That dude's competitive. I mean, no wonder he won Survivor. He was like, I mean, he wasn't cheating in the league, but like he was making shady deals. He was taking advantage of players that maybe weren't as quite as savvy and like
3: lopsided
2: deals. Uh, And uh, then he didn't beat me. And I think he's still sore about it.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, So uh, drafting Patrick Mahomes, uh, a greater move, maybe even greater than Dan's funeral. But we're here to talk about Dan's Funeral, and it was five years ago. Is that is that right?
2: Seven, seven, seven years, years ago.
0: Oh my! <laughs> Time flies.
2: Time flies in Big Brother, uh, Rob. And yes. it was, uh, this episode aired on August 29th ninth, uh, two thousand twelve. Yeah, and uh, so I sort of figured, well, this could be you know kind of like the Eric Reichenbach yeah. oral history. I, I put out twelve years to the day after that aired. So it's kind of going uh, for the same thing here with the, with the big brother Dan funeral.
3: Okay,
0: just so people have a chance to take a look at this. Okay, you can go to Dalton's Twitter page. He is at Dalton Ross, and you can find this on ew.com as well. If you want to read through the article before we talk about how this all came together, okay? Is there any place easier that would be to find this, Dalton?
2: No, I think that's it. Yeah, just go to my Twitter. There'll be a link there, or just Google Big Brother Oral History, and hopefully, you'll well, be yeah. able to find it. I mean, I don't, you know, that should that should that should do the trick. I guess, and I, I agree. I beg anyone that's listening now that has any interest in Big Brother and this story to pause, read the article, which should take you about eighteen hours, uh, and then and then and then come back and, and listen because I think there's some pretty uh, fascinating uh, stuff in there. Uh, I apologize for the length of the article. I think it's the longest. It is definitely the longest article in the history of Entertainment Weekly. Whoa! Uh, for, better or for worse, yeah. Um, it's 20,000 words, so it was crazy. And um, honestly, I didn't think the story was going to happen. Um, you know, just getting in touch with everyone, Rob, was was crazy. I, I went to CBS. I said, look, I want to do this oral history on Dan's funeral. And I was kind of thinking, you know, after the Survivor one I did and, and and how well that turned out. And I thought about a Big Brother one. Um, you know, you talk about the biggest sort of moments ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the Marsalis Vito. Obviously, when he didn't use it, mm-hmm. what was that? Big Brother three, Big I Brother think. three, yeah, yeah, and, and but that felt a little bit too close to the Reichenbach one. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that's sort of telling the same story in a way. And the, the funeral just felt so iconic. Yeah. So I got in touch with CBS. I said, "Hey, I want to do this," and they basically said, uh, "Sure, that sounds great, but like, kind of you're on your own getting a hold of these people." They gave me a few emails. You know, unlike I, I know you're you're really tapped into all the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm less tapped in in terms of, especially with Big Brother, right. having sort of any knowing these people personally. I mean, I I have interviewed some of them, but whatever. But you know, it was so it was hard. They, they CBS only gave me a few emails, and obviously, I started with Dan, and I said, "Are you into this? Me doing this oral history?" And he said, "Well, sure, I am. I don't think you'll be able to get anyone else to talk about it, <laughs> right." <laughs> it's like and then I, I had a few email addresses. I think I had like Frank, Ian, and Brittany. And those are the, literally the only email I, addresses I started with. Yeah. So I ma- emailed them all. Frank actually got back and said, oh, yeah, that no, sounds cool. Ian said no. And Interesting. Brittany, yeah, and Brittany didn't respond. Okay. Uh, and so I tried to reach out to some other people through like Instagram, like direct messaging, and, and, and no one was getting back in touch with me. So I thought... Right. Well, this story is not happening. It's dead. I mean, you know, I I need to get a hold of these people. Uh, Dan had given me Danielle's email. She didn't respond. Uh, And so I had basically Dan and Frank and that was it. Um, Then things started to turn around. Uh, I I, I asked Ian to reconsider. Uh, You know, I said, hey, read the Survivor one. Everyone that took a part in that, I think, really enjoyed it. And he did. And then he said yes, which was great. Uh, I I leaned on Eliza, uh, our good friend Eliza from Survivor, who had just done Amazing Race. Oh, yeah. So she, you know, uh, got in touch with Brittany and then Brittany said, sure. So gave me her number. So a lot of these emails, they they went to spam. I was
3: realizing (laughs) they
2: weren't seeing them. I guess I'm the only person that still emails people. (laughs) I'm like 512 years old. Well,
0: yeah, you need to get it on like Instagram DMs, I think.
2: I tried that with a few people too, and people w- weren't getting in touch with me. Yeah. So, believe me, I, yeah. I
0: get it. Nobody that you're, I'm commiserating with you on some of this yeah. stuff. Yeah.
2: i was trying to Instagram wasn't working. So, anyway, now I got Brittany. Great.
0: Yeah.
3: Then
2: Danielle, I emailed Danielle again, and I think I'd hit her DMs and she wasn't responding. But I uh, I emailed her again. She said, Oh my God, your, your email is in my spam. I didn't see it until now. And so then she was in. And then Danielle was a, was a rock star on this because then she's the one that got me in touch with Jen with Jen City, who I had tried to no response. I emailed Jen and had DM'd her, no response. Yeah. But then Danielle got me in touch with her, got me in touch with Joe, and then most remarkably of all, got me in touch with Shane, who not only is I don't think has done a Big Brother interview like ever, or, mm-hmm. but basically hadn't talked to, outside of Danielle, I don't think any of the contestants yeah. in the past seven years. I mean, he was totally off the grid.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I went from, Rob, I went from like having no one and saying the story's dead. I I really, I moved on. It was over. I was done. I'm not doing it. To then getting every single person that was still in the house, which was uh, pretty remarkable.
0: And for some reason, if people have not read this, uh, the way that you set this up, you give us sort of like the, the setup to... What was going on? And then we go through the veto, which uh, I had forgotten all about the uh, veto element part of all of this. And then... We go through Dan's solitary confinement and the ultimate uh, Dan's funeral itself. And then finally, we sum things up with a lot of thoughts in terms of how the season played out. But for anybody who has not had the time to read this or is going to read it after Dalton, could you just give us a, a quick synopsis to set the stage for what Dan's funeral was?
2: yeah so basically what happened was is uh, Dan uh, Geesling comes back. he's won in season 10. he's one it's a weird season of Big Brother because they right. had a, what, what 12 players and then they brought back four former players as coaches. yeah and what that did what that meant was they each picked three players to be on their quote unquote team and then if if any of those players won, the coaches would get $100,000. They weren't playing to win. They weren't in the game. I guess it's sort of this sort of like a Rob and Sandra thing for Island of the Idols coming up with Survivor. Mm -hmm. Except the difference being if one of the players on their team won, they'd win $100,000. Then at some point during the game, America voted to allow the coaches to become players if they wanted. And then the coaches voted and... Whether to do it or not, and they decided three to one to do it. I think Mike Boogie yes. decided, did not want to, but the other three did. So now they're players and they're eligible to win. Uh, we we eventually get into day you know forty nine or so, and Dan's the biggest threat, sort of seen as the biggest threat, and Frank is H O H. puts Dan on the block. Dan's going home. I mean, I'm making mm-hmm. this more convoluted than it needs to be. Dan's on the block. We've seen a million times, and he's going home, no question. Uh, there's a whole veto situation which we'll get into a little more in depth in the minute, because I think there's a lot of fascinating stuff in the veto that happened. Um, but anyway, he doesn't win the veto. He goes and sol- he has to go immediately into solitary confinement because of a punishment. And he gets out of there and it, he's, it's done. He's going home, locked and loaded. Everyone knows it. It's going to happen. And then he basically comes out and stages what he calls his funeral. And so he does this whole funeral where he throws, he says, hey, I'm leaving. I just want to say a few words, group meeting. Let's all meet in the living room. And then he starts throwing these bouquets to people like, oh my gosh, Joe, you know, uh, I respect you so much as a person and as a dad, and I hope I can be the dad you were. And Shane, you're Captain America. You're incredible. You're such a good person. Brittany, we're both married recently. I connected to you on that. Uh, Jen, uh, you're the first lesbian I've ever met. That was a weird thing to say. Did not go over great. We'll go. Well, yeah, we can get into that if we want. That didn't go over great. But again, he's trying to connect. Ian, you remind me of myself. Uh, you know, you just love this game and I love this game. Uh, and then things get then things start to get weird. He tells the right. HOH. Hey, I'd like to talk to you in private uh, right after this because I said some things I'm not proud of. I'd like to apologize to you in private. And then he just destroys his biggest ally in the game, Danielle. And he said all these nice things to everyone. And Danielle says, here it goes. Now he's going to you know, say all these beautiful things to me. They're all crying in the house. They're shedding tears. It's so emotional. And then he just rips her, says, you're dead to me. In this game, you are dead to me. Can't believe what you did. Leaves her in tears. And then basically uses this whole charade. To get up into to uh, talk to Frank, HOH room, and and eventually uh, does get himself off the block. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the grand spectacle and the theater, um, and but he used it in a strategic sense to actually save himself when everyone thought he was done.
0: Yeah. Okay. And what's great about what you were able to do was to contact all these people and then we sort of like get the inside the head of everybody that's involved with it. And with the beauty of uh, so much hindsight of not just like their first reaction to how it played out, but how they're feeling about it all these years later. So what were, what were some of the things that really uh, stood out to you that were very surprising now that you've gone back and studied Dan's funeral?
2: Okay, so here's the biggest thing, and 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 I don't want to be overly dramatic, but this just sort of floored me. Uh, and again, uh, last sort of disclaimer I'll put: please read the story before you hear this, because this will. This is, I think, the biggest thing in the story, uh, revelation to come out of it. Everyone that watched the funeral back in season 14, and this includes not just viewers, but the players themselves, and the host Julie Chen, and the executive producers, including Alison mm-hmm. Grodner. Everyone has always believed this narrative. The narrative was that Dan destroyed Danielle at the funeral. It was all a ruse. And the ruse was to gain her sympathy so she would not be voted out and to put some distance between him and Danielle. So they didn't appear too close. Hey, let's make it not seem that we're best buddies and allies in this game. So I'm going to do this. And we see in the episode, he does the, the whole speech, kills her, goes up to Frank, then comes down and tells her, I did that she gave me sympathy. People would see you're safe now. No way I was going to vote you out after I did that. And everyone has assumed that to be the truth. That is total malarkey. It turns mm-hmm. out after I did the, all these interviews, that narrative is simply not true. Um, what happened was, I mean, and Danielle, you know, it's interesting because Danielle, I spoke to her and, you know, I interviewed all these people for about an hour each, you know, I do this all over the phone and I talked to Danielle and then she rewatched the episode and she called me back a few days later and she said, you know, it's interesting because I watched the scene with Dan and Frank up in the HOH room where Dan turns Frank. And Frank is the one that brings up the final four alliance, yeah. him, Gen City, Dan and Danielle, not Dan. I don't think Dan had any int- intent of of still doing an alliance. And I think that he was actually, when he was mad at me, that that was real, that that was all real. Mm -hmm. That he was pissed at me about this thing that we'll get into in a second. I then talked to Dan and his own story, Dan confirms it. Yeah. Yeah. And he confirms it and he acknowledges that in interviews right after the season ended, if he was doing them, he would have maintained that cover that this was all part of his plan to make him sound that much smarter. But that's revisionist history. It's not real. What really happened And this was never shown on TV or on the live feeds because it happened during a veto competition. They don't show those on the live feeds. Is that during the competition, it was a draw something challenge. And so uh, I guess that was the big app at the moment, Rob. I don't remember. I don't know if you had a draw something. Uh, Yeah, I
0: remember that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So they they basically, a picture would come up and you buzzed in if you thought you knew it. And if you were right, you got points, but then you also did a punishment. Mm. So, um, the plan is, is that, and this gets confusing and I apologize, but Ian already has a veto because he won a special Pandora's box was open. He won a veto. So if Shane or Brittany can win the veto from this competition, then the quack pack, yeah. worst titled alliance ever,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, they can take- Worse than Fauté? I don't know. Worse than the friendship? Mm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they can basically take both of them off the block. Someone will have to go back up, but they'll have the votes to keep the entire quack pack safe. So the plan is Dan, Danielle, throw this competition. Let's let Brittany or Shane win it, and we're all safe. Well, what happens is Dan then doesn't throw the competition.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it gets later, and then Danielle buzzes in on spots. And the punishment is everyone has to throw paint at her. Well, Dan apparently was super pissed that she buzzed in. Really angry, even though he was buzzing in and trying to win, really upset that she had because he thought, hey, you know, you're not going home. I'm going home. Uh, I'm the one that really needs to win this, not you. So he was pissed. And on that Mm -hmm. that throwing competition, what you don't see is that uh, after they were supposed to stop throwing and the timer off, he threw a full can right in her face. And he was really pissed. Then, and then when the whole competition was over, and there's other stuff we can get into if we want with this veto Mm. competition, and then some cheating that happened, that in the few minutes while they're waiting for the house to open back up, he was yelling at her and really, really upset with her. And then he went right in sequester. So when he came out from sequester, he was still really pissed at Danielle. What you saw when he's saying how angry he was, that was true. Right. He was using it as a little bit of a diversion. There was a strategic element to it uses the diversion to then get up to talk to Frank. That is true. But he was legitimately angry with her. That was not all a ruse. I thought that was pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, and don't forget also that they are on the block together. I know you're not forgetting, but just for anybody who has not watched Dan's funeral in seven years, that they're also on the block together. So if Dan really like buries Danielle, I hate your guts. You know, that's like a classic Big Brother move of oh, well, well we, you know, we know Dan's target. Dan's going after Danielle if he stays in the house. So uh, another reason to potentially say, okay, well, uh, if we saved if Dan. Dan is, uh, you know, he. we know who Dan's going for. He's less threatening.
2: It was funny because, you know, I, I'm Rob, I'm, I'm saying this to some of the other players. Um, and before I had it confirmed from Dan and like I asked Ian, like, Ian, is it is it possible that Dan was actually really mad at her? He's like, no, 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 no. It was all ruse. Like people are saying, no, no, it's mm-hmm. definitely all ruse. Julie Chen, you know, had no idea. Allison Grodner, I had to inform her of this. Yeah. That, no, no, it was not. This was real. He was really angry at her. So I found that really interesting that at least what I had always considered what I think we've always thought of was actually, that's actually not the way it went down. There were a lot of really interesting other takeaways of things that I didn't know. I mean, I found it fascinating. Danielle, the whole Danielle Dan thing is just, it's just, I just, it's Fascinating. Crazy. Yeah. That is. is a
0: complicated it, relationship.
2: Super complicated relationship. Like I, you know, he, he thinks they're, they're back on good terms. Yeah. I, they are on terms, like they're talking again, right. but they haven't seen each other since that finale night. Right? And she says, "I don't know what I would do if I saw him again. I don't know if I'd yell at him. I don't. I don't know what would happen." And she told me her dad did not even go to the finale because he was so furious mm-hmm. at Dan. Keep in mind, Danielle could have won, right? Like, I mean, she was she was went into finale night. She was still in the house. Yeah, When and it starts. So, so all the final three, their family goes and the dad did not go because she said he was so worried what he would do if he saw Dan, that he would just attack him, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty intense.
0: Yeah, very and intense. Though, Dalton, in reading yeah. this, I really was struggling with, wait, does Danielle hate Dan's guts or or are they good? Because uh, she uh, has some of the you know harshest words for Dan in the piece.
2: I, you know, my take on is this, what I don't think she hates Dan's guts. I really don't. I think that she's very, though, honest and open with her feelings, you know, like you have a friend and they drive you crazy. But I don't know if I'd call Dan and Danielle necessarily friends at this point, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Dan drives her crazy. But I think she does legitimately still have some affinity for him. And I think she's just open and honest about the things about her. That she was hurt by those things. She was torn up about it. She didn't talk to him for a long time. But that she does somewhere in her heart have a place for him, if that makes any sense sense whatsoever
0: yeah i also in my mind uh think of the time that dan burned her the worst was at the final four which you touch on in the piece when she is gonna use the uh does she uses the veto on dan yeah yeah.
2: and promises her use the veto on me i'll vote i'll get rid of ian because he'll be the only vote right i'll get Shane safe i promise just do this So she does. And then he. he
0: Yeah. And he swears on a million things. Don't worry. I would never vote out Shane. You have nothing to worry about. And then he stands up at the live final four uh, vote and then ends up. And and it's still a, you know, a meme and a gift to this day of her with her jaw open. And I feel like that more so than this, I think, is probably what she has animosity towards him uh, that she touches on in this piece.
2: You're right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and the, you know, there's a whole section of the piece, the Shane, Danielle, Dan dynamic. Yeah. I mean, it was fascinating when they were in the house, right? Even before that, it was fascinating because she had the showmance with, with Shane. Then she had the sort of alliance with Dan. And those were always seem to be, well, who's she really trust here? And And talking to Shane, and here's another guy who hasn't spoken to anyone about this, since it happened, and and he was, I appreciate him so much for being so open mm-hmm. and honest. I mean, if, sometimes when you talk to these people, Rob, you know, you get a little revisionist history, or they're trying to make themselves uh, seem better than they are, and they're maybe not being honest with themselves. Shane just, without being prompted at all, what I wasn't asking him at all. You'll see in the piece him talking about how how difficult this has been and how much he's struggled over the last seven years and how he's had all these trust issues. Uh, I have a whole experience really wrecked him. I didn't ask him any of that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. He just, he, he brought it up on his own. Uh, he's, he's a religious guy who right. expects people to be open and honest. And big brother is not a very open and honest experience. And, um, I found this stuff with Shane and Danielle and Dan because they're all tied in together. And Danielle says, I didn't talk to Dan because of Shane. And Shane says, I I still, I still don't really know what happened there and how much I could believe what Danielle told me. And, like, he was upset about Danielle voting for Dan. How could you vote for Dan to win after what he did to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, all that stuff is um, – Super interesting.
0: So, a big part of all of this, and as you uh, bring up Shane, that it seems like he was uh, one of the people that was uh, most offended by this was uh, Dan's use of the Bible and swearing on the Bible, and then going against those swears uh, in Big Brother fourteen. Can you talk a little bit uh, about the role that Dan's swearing on the Bible played on this?
2: Yeah, you know, well, remember in season ten he was Judas, right?
0: Yeah,
3: um,
2: and and so he comes back. And, you know, you see that scene with Frank. He swears on the Bible and his wedding ring and on his dead grandfather's cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did that apparently in multiple instances. Ian Ian said in the yeah, final speeches final and we can talk about that, if we want, how Dan had sworn on his dead grandfather's cross that he was going to bring Ian you know, to the end and this and that and what have you. Um, it's interesting to talk to people now about it.
0: In fairness, uh, that Dan was not put to the test on that. So that was not, that was not a promise that Dan broke.
2: And Dan told me, now this was a whole other thing like side. I, so I spoke to the final three the next morning and um, I spoke to Dan as I'm sure you did as well. And I spoke to Dan and I asked him the obvious question, who would you have brought had you won? And he said, I would have brought Ian. And then I spoke to Danielle immediately after. And I told her that and she didn't know and she was wrecked. I mean, it's, it's one of the right. hardest interviews I've ever done, having to inform her, be the first person to inform her. Dan just told me he would have brought Ian, and she didn't believe me at first. Yeah. Um, so anyway, for what it's worth, he says he would have, he would have honored it. But, um, you know, everyone says that the religion thing was huge with the jury, that there were certain people that were not going to vote for him because of that. And a lot of them say, Joe. Uh, and, and Joe gave me a very different story when, when you, you know, Joe in, in this story, uh, says a very different things than everyone else. But a lot of people right. said Joe was really offended by it. I'm sure Shane being religious, he, he didn't like it, but Shane now doesn't seem to hold a grudge about it. Uh, no one seems to hold a grudge about it now, but back then, seven years ago, it played a big factor in the jury's decision as did the fact that Dan had played and won before.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting about how the uh, the jury a- ended up voting. Uh, I- I'd love to uh, come back to that and talk about that more. So one of the really big parts about this that I totally forgot was how the veto ended up playing out and how Frank was disqualified from the veto competition. Was that part of the episode? And, and how was that explained in the original Big Brother 14 episode?
2: It's it's all in it. It's really interesting. So what happens is, again, it's this draw something challenge. You buzz in. It comes down to the very last question. Dan's in first place with, I think, 23 points. Dan's in second place with 14, and it's worth 11 points. If anyone but Dan gets this question right, Frank wins HOH, uh, wins the veto, excuse me, because no one else has enough points. As long as, as long as Dan doesn't win, anyone else, Frank wins the veto. So Brittany buzzes in, but she doesn't know it. And so Frank whispers Summer to Britney, knowing, hey, if Britney gets this right, I win. So Frank whispers it to, to, to Britney. And on your TV screen, all you see is next go, Ian. Ian says, Frank, you know, you've, you've whispered it. That's, you're not allowed to do that. You're disqualified. So what actually happened was Frank whispers Summer to Britney. Britney says Summer, which you don't see on the show. And then... Production, go- Ian's wearing an IFB in his ear. He's yeah. wearing an earpiece, so he's connected to production. They say, stop everything, wait. Now, yeah. this is fascinating part of it. If you love behind-the-scenes stuff like I do, yeah uh, this is fascinating because I spoke to Rich Meehan and Alison Grodner, the two executive producers, and said, tell me everything of what happened. Yes. So what happened was uh, one of the, the, the producers, uh, who's watching it in real time, immediately stops the competition. He calls Rich. And he goes, we have a situation. Uh, we think that Frank gave Brittany the answer. We've put the game on lockdown. Um, Rich calls. Uh, Rich goes up there, looks at it, uh, tells the players, uh, hold on. We're looking at all this. They're looking at back and forth. He, he determines Frank has said this to Brittany. He calls Allison Grodner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison Grodner tells her what's happened. she's Now she's in the loop knowing everything happens. They contact CBS Uh, because they want to have someone from the network to know what's going on. So all this happens in the span of about 15 minutes. The players are on lockdown. They confirm it. First off, that it's happened. They let all the powers that be know what's happened and the decision, so no one's being told later. Then they come back in the game. They say, Frank, you're disqualified. You're out.
3: Mm -hmm. So
2: he's out. So then they redo a new final question. Brittany buzzes in again. Again, Brittany doesn't know it for a second time. And so this time uh Jen City won it and she uh, ended up winning it.
0: I love that somehow Gen City is uh, back being a name that we're talking about because uh, that's a fun one to uh, even think about from seven years ago. Uh, But that part about the competition is is so interesting because I I feel like, and I know it's probably because, you know, I've been out on Survivor and I know what that looks like, but I feel like that Survivor, like in interviews and things like that, that there are, is much more transparency of like, if this happened on Survivor, it's like, all right, so we would see, you know, uh, Jeff, Jeff would, you know, huddle up with John Kierhofer and uh, Matt Van Wagnon and they would make a call right there. And then but the, to hear this happen in a Big Brother competition, uh, th- this was very interesting.
3: I mean,
2: I don't know. Do they show that stuff on Survivor? I'm trying. I mean, they don't they don't show Jeff and producers. I mean, the. the I remember the one challenge was at Pearl yeah. Island where, yeah, where Jeff messed it up and they had to bring people back. But um, they, they do show behind the scenes stuff, obviously, sometimes with injuries and things like that. But I don't remember. New, no, not on the like,
0: show. But I feel like anecdotally, like in an interview with you yeah. or something like yeah. that, I feel like that that definitely. would uh, th- that would come up. But yeah, that was that was really fun to get to see how that was yeah. going to uh, you know, playing out behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, definitely. I had no idea uh, how, it, how, it, how it exactly happened um for instance i didn't know and this may be common knowledge and but i didn't know it, that that they had ifbs in their ear i didn't know if they literally over a loudspeaker were saying it or how they were giving them feeding them the lines to say i knew they were feeding them the lines i also didn't know how much a player and i still don't know how much they actually say the the, the, uh, the mc of the competition how much they say live and how mm-hmm. much they report them later you know what i mean? Yeah. saying like either video in the backyard while everyone else has gone inside or audio in the diary room, redoing lines and stuff. We all know what happens. Yeah. But it's all, all that behind the the scene stuff is fascinating.
0: Dalton, how familiar with you were you with Dan's funeral? Did it was it something that like really like was just uh, burned into your brain or did you have to go back and watch this and r- remember a lot of this?
2: I I knew it pretty pretty well. I mean, I was floored by it when it happened. I just thought it was the I thought it was the best Big Brother moment ever. And there's a difference between best moment and best move. I think that that's that's worth noting. I, I this this is not called the greatest move ever. And remember, because Dan didn't even win ultimately, but it is the greatest moment. I think when you think of the spectacle of Big Brother and just the showiness, and it's Big Brother's all about voyeurism, and you get it all here. You know, you get the literally the tears from contestants. You get this just crazy uh, movie. It's the, it's the embodiment of Expect the Unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I loved it when it happened. And every once in a while, I kind of would just pull it up on YouTube, you know yeah. what I mean, I watch it. So I knew it pretty well. Obviously, I went back and watched the episode multiple times, um, along with other episodes from the season, along with the finale. Uh, rewatched all of that just to refamiliarize myself because my recall on Big Brother is not as good as on Survivor, and yeah, you know, I, I feel like Big Brother. I think it's by intention. It's not. I th- I love both shows, but I feel Big Brother is a little more, uh, and maybe intentionally, so feels a little more disposable. You know what I mean? Like I, I, sometimes I can't even run remember who won Big Brother like last year. You know, mm. I mean, okay, who won? Like what? Like I, I'm not good with that. Like I am with Survivor, but my recall for this event was pretty strong.
0: So I actually went back and I listened to uh, that because this podcast has been going on so long. I went back and I listened to the podcast I did following Dan's funeral episode of uh, Big Brother 14, and I talked to uh, the great AJ Mass uh, about yeah. what was going on there. And yeah, he I mean, in
2: his uniform or was he no, a- he was
0: not in Mister no. Matt. I mean, he might have been. It was a podcast, but um, you know, it it was it was interesting. But I would have thought that the podcast was, Oh my God, we saw history last night, dance, Dan's funeral. Like, uh, you know, the earth has moved underneath our feet, but we talked about, you know, big, you know, a big deal that uh, Julie Chen, I believe, uh, talked about Dan as being one of the, maybe the best big brother player ever after pulling off the move. But I, I wonder if the, You know, the marketing, the branding behind Dan's funeral has uh, really just blown it up even bigger than what it was at the time.
2: It could be. It totally could be. What I find interesting about it is that I think you've had some I'm sure you probably had some better moves and I'm sure you've had more maybe explosive moments, certainly in the early days where they were giving them alcohol uh, and they were putting knives to each other's necks uh, and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? like, there were crazy fights in the old Big Brother days, just crazy, you know, technotronics. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, you had, just, you had bigger. But, but this sort of, for me, combined both of those things. It combined, like I said, the drama and the theater with actually some strategic backbone, which is what why I love it so much. I'm sure people after the, this article came out, you know, pe- people are now arguing, well, what was the best moment? And I'm sure people are saying this is not even close. Which is what's kind of fun about these things is to to think about all these great moments. Like I said, the there's, there's Marcellus veto—that's that's amazing. There's lots of fights that that are amazing. Um, but I thought this kind of had it all. Can you remember like any other moments? No, I think continued? this is
0: it. I-, I think you nailed it with uh, this being the moment because it- it's something that uh, was this you know uh, really huge move, and it's something that we always talk about in podcasting about Big Brother, about like anything that happens. Like, well, it was not Dan's funeral, and the the fact that when we point to like, well, it looks like this person's definitely going home this week, but you have to remember like what Dan Geesling did in Big Brother 14. So uh, I think it's super iconic, and then. It also has the the great branding of you know the the classic geesling move of the uh, compelling spectacle
2: yeah i think it was all building up to remember this is the, the summer of the mist you know dan's mist and everything and a lot of this i love the fact also that's not one of these things where some weird big brother uh tw- you know america's prankster or whatever like came in to sort of like mm-hmm. save one just by sort of luck of a of an america's choice or anything i mean he had, he had a terrible punishment coming right out of that. Via. He had to go straight into yeah. solitary confinement. He couldn't work anyone. Um, a, a, and I love the solitary confinement Yeah, let's stuff.
0: talk about that and just reset that for people who uh, may have forgotten that part of Dan's funeral.
2: Yeah, so he, he loses the veto. Uh, as we talked about earlier, he's yelling at Danielle, and then he has to go immediately into solitary. I think he has like five minutes. He has a quick diary room session where he's crying and depressed goes to the bathroom, and then goes into solitary confinement for 24 hours, which was a solitary confinement dance party. So, it, you know, it looks sort of like a rave in there. There's pulsating terrible music, uh, some black and white motif all over the walls. Looks like, you know, you're being hypnotized. And he said, you know, what happened in that room is really a question, because we really don't know. We don't see anything in the episode. We don't really, we know he came up with this plan, but how did he come up with the plan as we've never really talked about? So. Uh, what's interesting to me is he said the first few hours he was just scrambling. Like he thought there was a, there was a cake in there for some reason. That's all he had to eat. So he thought there was a veto in the cake. So he tore up the cake, looking for a veto. Of course, there's nothing there. And then he started to put the, put the plan together. If you want to start with a house meeting, cause he'd done that in season 10, he was pissed at Danielle. He thought putting her on blast could work somehow. Uh, and then it sort of just sort of all formed out of there. And again, the thing about, the, the, uh, the funeral remembers the whole goal is basically get Frank alone without people realizing he's trying to save himself. Mm-hmm. The whole funeral is, re- is really it's not to, to, to bash. It's not to bash Danielle to make them seem further apart. It's to get Frank in a room where people are, are, are thinking aren't thinking, OK, this is he's trying to ploy and strategize. So this was the way he came out to do it. This is the sideshow. This is, uh, you know, this is sort of the, uh, the, the, the magician's act mm-hmm. of look over here when you're really doing something over here. Um, and so just, you know, talking about these hours that he spent perfecting the plan and coming up with it, I thought was pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. And, you uh mentioned Julie Chen went back and uh you was some one of the people that you spoke to. I, I was really impressed that uh Julie watched the episodes, uh Julie watched the finale. Uh that that blew me away.
2: Yeah, she went back, she did a little homework before I talked to Julie. I was I was like, Julie, thank you. She because that's always the hardest thing with these is you talk to people. I know this from the survivor World history, and their memory is a little like, huh, what? And like and It's hard with the Big Brothers. Well, it's hard with both, my guess, because um, you know, unless they have a CBS All Access account, they don't. They don't have the episode. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. that accessible. It's hard to, to watch. But Julie went back. She watched the stuff, and Julie was very candid. Yes, I was yes, of, couldn't believe it. She started you know, she, yes, she says Dan is brilliant. Yes, the movie is incredible, but she, she takes some shots at Dan Giesling.
0: Yeah, can I, yeah. I, I looked at this, I have the passage marked. Can I, yeah. uh, she said uh, about the, the, when the funeral was happening, she said, uh, these people are in tears, it's working. Uh, and she was thinking, oh my gosh, they've been in this bubble for so long, they can't see through his phoniness. Uh, I felt like I could always see it, starting with the way he always addressed me as Mrs. Chen. It just never felt genuine. It felt more like, this guy is a politician. He's an apple polisher. Some people fall for it. I never fell for it. I always felt like he had a motive and he had an agenda. And I thought the agenda was so obvious as a viewer. But watching it work on everyone and seeing all the tears, I'm like, this guy is brilliant. Wow.
2: I, I think it's that's a, a great, fascinating quote because she's A, again, being honest and candid. But then she's also giving an insight to sort of, the bubble of big brother, which I think is a real thing talking to these people. And, you know, you've, you've, you've been on a reality show, you know, it, and talking to big brother contestants, which is a different experience from survivor. You're emotionally mentally vulnerable, right? Like you're not, you're not in peak condition. And and so she gets at that while also giving her very honest opinions about Dan. I asked her, I started the interview. I'm like, just, just before we get going, like what was your impression of Dan heading into season 14 and she was like, honestly, not all that impressed. Like, I didn't think it was bad, but like, he didn't strike me as anything special. Now she goes on to say that she thinks he is a special and incredible player. But you know, going into it, she was like, I really didn't have a huge impression of him from season ten. Mm-hmm. it kind of very interesting. And you know, then her and we could talk about this now, or we could talk about it later as she talks about her thoughts about the the, the finale and the voting because that's that's sure. all I'm pretty interesting as, as well. Uh, I just uh, you know, I, I kind of asked everyone. Because I think the funeral is directly correlated to the finale since Ian and Dan both ended up there. And the question sort of, did these hijinks that Dan pulled and, uh, you know, th- this this Dramata and throwing Danielle under the bus and swearing on everything and doing all these moves and having no boundaries. Did this ultimately come back to bite him in the finale? And, right. and I think it, it definitely did. yeah. Well, uh, and we could talk about people's reactions to that, but it also was interesting talking to everyone, and I agree with everyone. I agree with Alison Grodner and Rich Meehan, the executive producers. I agree with Julie Chen, who all said, Ian was much better than Dan at that finale. I mean, if you go back and you watch, I mean, and, and whatever, the jury's decision was always already made up. It didn't matter. It, it did not matter. The jury was, as Brittany says, there's no way that jury was going to give Dan the money. It was never going to happen. Right. But that said, Ian was much more impressive than Dan and Julie. Julie kind of goes off on Dan there a little bit as well. Uh, the way Dan was acting while Ian was talking, kind of shaking his head dismissively. And mm-hmm. she really takes him to task for that. And you see it, it didn't play well. Yeah, uh, it, Ian took some, took a great shot at Dan about swearing on his grandfather's cross, knowing the jury was bitter, hammering that home. And, It just wasn't a very good performance by Dan. It was a very good performance by Ian at at that final, and you know, because a lot of people said Janelle said it at the finale. If Dan before the vote was revealed, Janelle says if Dan does not win this, it is a travesty, Mm -hmm. an absolute travesty. I know a lot of people thought that way, but Ian played a great game, and he had he he finished great with that with that uh, final speech.
0: Now, I did not go back and watch the finale, but, you know, having my memory jogged a little bit from reading your work and all this discussion about it, yeah, from, from what I remember, that I feel like, you know, it, it's a very short se- question segment, and, and I think that Dan felt like he was going to be able to explain everything and then go back to, you know, the kind of stuff that Julie was talking about in terms of, you know, just like suckering everybody in one last time to get the vote where I feel like that if he sort of like pounds the table and gives the you know you're damn right I beat you do you know what I had to do do you and really instead of tries to uh, like uh, apologizing and coming back and trying to explain what he did as opposed to like no I absolutely was the best player of the season I don't know if it changes anything. But I feel like that that was the the way to go more as sort of like be the, you know, sh- reveal the magic trick of what you were able to do as opposed to, you know, uh, get everybody sucked in one last time.
2: I, I agree. And, you know, you take it to the survivor comparison, you know, you can be ruthless and do things. It's all about how you explain it and handle it at the end. Todd Herzog obviously did an incredible job of it at Survivor China. Obviously, Russell Hance did a not so incredible job of it. I don't know what
0: you're talking about. I did the best job. Willie Hance, why didn't you talk to (laughs) Willie Hance about Dan's funeral?
2: That's right, Willie Hans from uh, that season. Willie Hans Big Brother fourteen uh, got kicked out for the headbutt of Chef Joe. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Yeah. Uh, I just I just rewatched Heroes versus Villains because I showed it with my daughter for the first time, and and you're watching Russell at that final tribal, just and you're like, dude, what are you doing? He's
0: out of gas. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, but 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 it was um he didn't handle it well, and uh and he could have explained it himself much much better. I mean, remember Dan? This is still crazy, and I don't know if you remember this. I had forgotten it, until so I went back and watched the finale, that Dan convinced both Ian and Danielle to throw the first part of the final HOH. No, I that, did
0: not recall that.
2: That's crazy. Yeah. That, and, and Ian will tell you how there was a strategic reason for me to do that, and I believe him. But still, the fact that Dan convinced the other two people to both throw the first part of the final HOH, I mean, that's impressive. That's very, very impressive.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I get the feeling that, you know, Danielle is mad at Dan, but I feel like if he was in a room with her for 15 minutes, I feel like that uh, he could get her back on track.
2: I'd love, i listen, I'd love to sign over
0: her like uh, social security account or, and and basically like whatever Dan was trying to sell, I think that Danielle would be buying.
2: Listen, I, like I said, I'd love to be there with a camera in the room together Uh, when, when, if, if that ever happened with those two, I, I think, I I think they would both agree that their relationship is dysfunctional, but yet kind of intriguing at the same time. I I, I don't know what would happen again. They haven't seen each other in seven years. Uh, it's almost like a reality show in itself. Like, you know, somehow, you know, it's like those movies where like some precocious kids, best friends are trying to get their dad and their mom who are both like divorced or widowed together. Mm -hmm. So they both show up at the same restaurant and they don't realize they're there for a date. It's like, that's what you need to do with like Danielle, Dan and Shane, right? Just somehow get them all in a room together without realizing that the other two are going to be there.
0: Yeah. Um, Brittany Haynes was very fun in this. Uh, We had her on the podcast uh, last week. And so uh, nobody who knows Brittany Haynes should be surprised, but uh, she was uh, really fun throughout the whole thing.
2: She really was. And I told her that too. I had And get a great her back. sport also. She was a great sport. And, um, uh, you know, I, I had to get her back on the phone because there's one thing I'd forgotten to ask her. And uh, and I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to tell you anything about the story. I want you to read it uh, and see what it happens. Like, uh, But I will say you you were, you were great. Like, she, she's exactly what you'd expect. It's for her for yeah. a diary. Like, very honest, open, funny, without trying to be funny. Like, she's not trying to crack one-liners. Um, the one, the thing I love the most is just a little thing. When Dan came out of the sequester room, he looked really sick. And, and partly I think he didn't feel well, but oh, yeah. also he, he was playing it up. So he's, he's acting it up. He's acting up that he's just in some trance. He's like a zombie. He's he's looking ill he's really pale. Brittany was so worried about him that she actually voluntarily went into the diary room And ask the producers, like, I think you did something to him. He's not doing well. You need to check on him. And she, I mean, that's how, as she says, I bought his act hook, line and sinker. And Brittany's great because she, again, is like not trying to make herself look good. She's just telling you how it was in there and doing so in very entertaining fashion.
0: What do you feel like is the moral of Dan's funeral?
2: Uh, I mean, I guess it's just believe nothing, right? In in the in in the Big Brother house, it's just big believe absolutely nothing. I I could never do Big Brother. I mean,
0: Rob, could you ever do Big Brother? It would be really really challenging because for Survivor, you know, it, it's a sprint, and then you know you are making moves, and, and and look, it's been a long time since I played, but in terms of like you know you're lying to somebody for. An afternoon, a day and a half at times of like, okay, this person's going home tomorrow night. Okay, and usually, you know, it, it's uh, basically more of a uh, a quicker hit on somebody. Whereas in Big Brother, you know, the weeks go by and you have to have the forge these fake relationships for so long, and then I just feel like that those betrayals hurt even more. And I think that Dan Giesling is so incredible. He has such such a great talent for being able to get people sucked in where that he engages with you. I think Brittany talked about this uh, in the interview where she talked about how, you know, he'll ask you about what did you get for, you know, your seventh birthday. And he asks you all of these personal questions. Does he care? I don't think so. But he's going to at least get you believing that he cares. And then that's how one day he's going to use that against you, use that relationship against you. But then at the end of the game, that's that's just um, is it a faulty strategy is the question.
2: Yeah. And I think my problem why I, I mean, I would never do any of these shows because I, I don't want to be on TV doing these shows, but like, I would like to play Survivor, like if there are no cameras, I would would really like to do that. Big Brother, I don't think I would enjoy playing because I think I'd be driven crazy. I mean, Survivor, obviously, you know, there's so many things out of your control. Tribe swaps, you know, advantages, this and that. But but Big Brother, like even more so, like, you know, nominate the two people you want for eviction. Surprise, you just gave them safety for a month. Like, I I, I would just like, Mm -hmm. that would drive me bonkers. And like you said, and it's so long now. Used to, remember, Big Brother used to be a lot shorter. I mean, I feel like it used to start in July and right. end in August. Now it No, it years never years.
0: ended in August. It would be like, I think it would probably be like around like 70 some odd days. And now it's around like 99 days.
2: Right. So it's, I mean, it's like a third longer almost. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a long haul. More players,
0: I, I, more weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I couldn't do that. I, it'd be really difficult. I, I just, it's. I mean, you know, the, the the motto again is just and I guess to to a degree, this was the motto of the survivor oral history I did, which is just like never trust anyone. But the other motto is, and this is this was a, a thing that I don't think was hammered home too much in the story, but Dan talked about it and Ian talked about it. Dan, and there's more on this that I believe it or not, I actually did cut some stuff from the story. Believe it or <laughs> yeah. not, um but but they talked about how Dan's MO when he was in the house was Make Great TV. You know what I mean? Like make big moments, make sure. huge moments. And of course, on Big Brother, they love that. And I remember, you know, hearing how like there are certain survivor players that might go in, and they and what they tell the players, "Keep me around because I'll make a good season, and they'll all be more famous." You know, and maybe there's something to that in terms of the big spectacle of Big Brother that everyone loves. And you know, obviously, all reality show contestants know this. Do big stuff that way; they'll ask you back. But mm. um. This sort of really hammers that home, how much that really was in Dan's thought all along. What's going to make good television? He even said when he said to Danielle, you know, you're dead to me in this game. He goes, you know, it would have been better TV if I just said you're dead to me. But I, I didn't want to be that harsh. Mm-hmm. Like, even that was in his head. Mm, what would make for better television? A yeah. simple line in his speech is kind of fascinating.
0: OK, Dalton, any other takeaways that you want to highlight here?
2: I, I would just like to, first off, thank anyone that actually read the story. It's 20,000 words. I know that's not an easy breezy thing, thing to read. Uh, a huge thanks to, ev- to everyone that, that spoke to me for it and was so honest and open and candid. And obviously, a huge thanks to you, Rob, for letting me gab on about Oh, no, it. this
0: is my pleasure. This was uh, such a fun read uh, this yeah, afternoon.
2: Well, we are being kind. I awkwardly in- invited myself on your podcast again, and you were trying to figure out a way to get out of it. But you, uh, I did
0: try to figure out a way to get out of it.
2: You were enough to humor me, and yeah. I, I appreciate it. But, you know, they, these are a lot of fun to put together. They're a lot of work, but they're, they're a lot of fun. And um, I, I hope everyone enjoys you know, the peak behind the curtain and sort of realizing what the actual inspiration was uh, for the funeral. And um, hopefully we'll have more great Big Brother moments to come. This this season has gotten a, a little better in the past few weeks. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes from here.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to just also mention that uh, Chef Joe was a delight in uh, this piece.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because Everyone talked about how offended he was. <laughs> yeah, like, Everyone's on and on. And Ian says, I knew I was taking Dan to the, the end when Joe said something. I can't remember the thing like I piss on him. In an yeah,
0: yes, I, yes. Uh, he wouldn't piss on Dan if he was on fire, which is uh, one of my favorite quotes because uh, that we did a live show out here a couple of years ago. And we had Penner out there at the Hollywood Improv and we were asking penner about uh jeff kent and uh, something about jeff kent and he's and, like people were like uh you know cheering about jeff kent and he was like jeff kent wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire it's
2: <laughs> a good penner impersonation yeah,
0: thank you thank you that's strong. Been uh, on that's strong. yeah one of my favorites uh but yeah that's uh, one of my favorite quotes
2: <laughs> so yeah so everyone's talking about how joe is the most irate of all but then you know, Joe is totally telling a, a different story. He's, yeah. he, he's sort of saying, like, he says that he's taking the ta- the jury to task for, like, you know, being so mad about Dan and and, and Soar. And, and, and so I, I don't know if that's just revisionist history that's going on with Joe. Joe's very clear that he thinks he says Joe's very clear that he would vote for Dan now. Mm-hmm. He said the one person, there are a few people that waffled. That said, they voted for Ian, and now, like, "Ah, I'm not sure. You know, maybe, maybe not. But Joe's definitely like, yes. If I had to do it over again, I would have voted for Dan. So, you know, but I'm not sure. Then, listen, it clearly was not the case at the time. He voted for Ian, and and according to every single person I spoke to, Joe was adamant that he was not going to give that money to Dan.
0: Yeah. All right, Dalton. What could be next? I you have to be thinking about uh the, the tr- completing the trilogy now
2: well th- there was one oral history i was going to do before i did the eric reichenbach one
0: reality game masters oral history was that it
2: <laughs> it's actually a uh, oral history of reality unleashed you
0: yeah remember that? Yes, yes well again uh <laughs> don't get it twisted i did I, that uh i i worked at that company after reality unleashed <laughs> i had nothing yeah, to do I with wish. i had nothing to do with uh the production of that
2: i uh, was which i mean I, I disavow i disavow it. yeah <laughs> Yeah. I thought, remember, you, you, I had to go on, I had to go on. I
0: know, of, no. Well, I feel like that, but what, uh, I, and the, the very quick story of of that was that the company that I still sort of working for when I first went to Los Angeles that was, uh, did the, the com, which was sort of like a reality TV website, which was sort of how I got started podcasting, that they put out a, a, uh, direct to DVD video called reality unleashed. And there was like a, it was like in 2004, I guess. And it was uh, uh, the aforementioned Marcellus is in it. Uh, and Lex and, uh, a, a bunch of different, uh, reality stars, like hang out at a bar and talk about what it was like being on reality TV. And it made Dalton Ross's list of worst top five, worst DVDs of 2004.
2: Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. Was yes.
0: And my so boss was had- very, was very, uh, offended.
2: Well, then you guys had me on to talk about why I named it as the worst, and uh, I remember being worried that it was a setup. But you guys were very kind, and I explained why why it was the worst. But you know, th- there you have it. But um, no. So there was one I, I was thinking of doing, uh, and um, and I may still do it. It's it's more of a fun one. It's, it's not, been
0: 15 uh, years since Reality Unleashed. We got to put out the Blu-ray. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> is that
2: anniversary? Have I missed it? Yes. Uh, well, it's what about the scorn? Do we have a scorn? Uh? uh,
0: yeah, well that's coming up. That'll be the, uh, 15 years will be next year for the scorn. <laughs> uh,
2: Ethan Zahn, a, a fantastic acting job by Ethan Zahn. Yes. In that, yes. In that. Fantastic. Um, I, um, yeah, there's another one I'm thinking of doing, but it's, it's very different. It's a little more silly and goofy. Uh, but these take a, I got, these take a lot of time, man. These take, I mean, you listen, I'm sure you can imagine it's, it's it's you got to do all the interviews and like i said this was 11 12 interviews an hour each and then you know the interviews all have to be transcribed and what have you but then you also it's a it's piecing it together you got to piece it together and and that takes forever so um you have to think before you take one of these on because it's 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 quite a project but there is another one i have in mind and hopefully at, at one point uh we'll it'll see the light of day
0: okay all right. In the meantime, we will have to have our uh, big draft coming up uh, next week in the Rotten Coconuts right. League. That's the uh, it's all survivors and 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 Dalton Ross. What is it like being the only non-survivor in the league?
2: Well, what's it like being beaten by the only non-survivor? Yeah, in the I guess, I, guess so. I, I, I was worried about that. That you guys were going to kick me out. You know that uh, that you know Here is the funny thing too: is that Dom, you know Dominic uh, Abate from uh, Ghost Island started this league and asked me to be in it and at first i said no because i'm already in like another league and too late i said you know what it's too much i just like doing one league like, when you do multiple leagues rob yeah. like you you have one player that you have on your team in one league and then you're going against him in the other league and you're like do i do i root for this person like
0: it's a- it's true hell
2: i don't like that i don't like that so i told dom no uh, and then he came back and he's like, come on, do it. Like all these people are doing it. So then I, he, he he beat me down and I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I took all of your money. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, but I have a little bit of a, a I'm a little subconscious about the fact that I'm the only one that has not been out there and, and done it. And yet I'm, I'm t- I've taken over your league, but of
3: mm-hmm.
2: course, someone else will uh, take home the bacon this year.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, Dalton Ross is on Twitter. He is at Dalton Ross. And uh, you can check out everything he has uh, going on every day or every weekday, right? Uh, EW Live, you do five
2: days a week? Yeah, five days a week on SiriusXM. Right now we're on 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on Channel 109. Um, uh, it's tons of fun. Love doing it every day. I know you're going to be gearing up for Season 39 of Survivor. Sure. I cannot wait to see everything you got going on with you and, uh, and Fishback. Yeah, uh, every episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, less than a month to go. Can you believe it?
2: Uh, Yeah, I know. This is supposed to be our downtime. Well, you know, but I guess there is no downtime. No downtime. No right? da- it doesn't doesn't happen. But um, I'm looking forward to, you know, I listen, I know you didn't have me on to talk about Survivor, and I know people are already bored of this at all. But I don't hate the Boston Rob and Sandra twist for season 39. Just on paper. I don't either. I don't hate it. I mean, let's, listen, if we spend too much time there of just watching them like set up camp and build a shelter like without doing the other actual other stuff, then I'll probably hate it. But like, the, I don't I don't hate the idea uh, as as I'm hoping it's going to turn out.
0: Dalton, you're a smart guy. OK, <laughs> smart up. How come you don't invite me to play in the fantasy football league?
2: He's too busy playing poker. No, I right? don't
0: think Rob likes fantasy football, to be honest. I, I, like, I think he would be up for, you know, if you had like some like pick'em pool, pool. Uh, but I don't think he's uh fa- fantasy football is uh, is not his thing.
2: You do that poker thing, Rob, don't you? What's up with? No, survivor's poker?
0: Yeah, it's I know a lot of survivors cool. play poker. I, I actually like I would like to play like in like, a, you know, a home game of like, uh, you know, people like are around the table. But people are so good. Dalton that uh, yeah. people are just way out of my league with, uh, with poker. And it's like for a lot of money, uh, these like, uh it's like you sit down at the table and it's like, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars to buy into these tournaments. And uh, I mean, if it was like uh like me and you, it's like, all right, everybody's in for, you know, 40 bucks. Okay, sure. Uh, let's have fun. But uh, it's almost like no fun because I have no chance to win. And it's so much money.
2: Well, I mean, I, I listen, I, I, I lost my breath for a second when Dom told us with the, with the, how much money we had to put in for this fantasy football league. I mean, I, I'm not a high yeah. roller by any means. I'm like, I don't do the, the, the poker gambling thing. When he told me, I thought he was kidding at first. I'm like, are those the winnings? He goes, no, that's how much you just need to put in to get into the game. I was like, holy yeah, shit. You weren't
0: laughing uh, around Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> effort to the bank.
2: All right, so we'll, we'll see what that season thirty nine twist does. I, I'm I'm hopeful it won't it won't be terrible. I actually think it could be all right. We'll
0: yeah, see. we'll see. All right, got to go in uh, optimistic. So uh, that's uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. All right, Don Ross, thank you again so much.
2: Thanks so much, Rob.
3: Really appreciate. it. Had a blast, dude. All right, take care, buddy. All
0: right, everybody. There you have it. Dalton Ross talking about the oral history of Dan's funeral here on the podcast and hope uh, Dalton Ross does some more of these. Maybe that might be a fun podcast to do of the uh, like top, top 10 big brother or survivor moments Dalton Ross should do oral history articles. I guess what would you call the oral histories uh, about this? I feel like the uh, Johnny Fairplay grandma lie. I think is a I think that'd be that'd be a solid one got to think through a couple more uh colby fights with danielle and or or colby sits on the bed and then watches uh danielle and amanda fight in heroes versus villains it's another good one uh so so many different ones uh, we could do when uh Ricky Williams had to uh help a constipated Kato Kalen and Big Brother Celebrity too. Uh the list is endless. But thanks again to Dalton Ross for coming on here to talk about his oral history on Dan's funeral. Hey, if you like Big Brother, boy, have we got more in store for you because Thursday night we will have our eviction night recap with Kaitlyn Herman. So hopefully you can you can join us live at 10 15 p.m. Eastern or catch our podcast recap in your podcast feed. All right. So that's going to do it for us. Of course, thanks to the patrons of Rob's podcast who make all of this possible to find out more about everything we're doing over on our Patreon, how that almost a uh, three hour and 40 minute patron cast call in show on Tuesday night where I took phone calls from the patrons. We got our Facebook Friday coming up as well where I get to talk with all of the people who share my love for reality TV. We talk about everything uh, that's going on on these shows and beyond. All that's available at com slash patron. Hope to see you there. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.